0: Google is killing passwords. T-Mobile has had their second data breach this year that we know of. Apple has released their first rapid security patch, and Apple and Google are teaming up to tackle an AirTag privacy problem and much, much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 132, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past one week this time. I am Nathan from The New Oil. I'm Henry from TechGlor. And this week, our promo segment is the same as always. We have our Patreon where you can go and join for... Some people don't seem to know this, but for the record, you can join for any amount you want. But if you join at $5 or more, you can ask us a question for the Q&A. And if you join for $10 or more, then you can get this same podcast. It's ad-free. There's a few more additional commentary and some extra tangents from us. But yeah, if you don't have that kind of money, we totally understand. And if you're you know, okay with not receiving the perks, you can join for less if you want to keep us going. If you don't care about the perks and you want to preserve a little bit of privacy, there's LibrePay, which is generally considered to be a little more privacy respecting. And of course we have Monero, which is the ultimate way to be private with online payments. And that is always an option as well. We don't know anything about you, but we do see the contributions and we thank all of you for keeping us going. It is appreciated. We also just have a quick warning this week before we jump in. Things were kind of crazy around here this week. I'm still settling in from the move and I know Henry's got a lot going on. We didn't make quite the robust notes we usually do. So give us the benefit of the doubt. Like if we're wrong about something, by all means, please correct it in the comments. Let us know respectfully, please. But yeah, just uh, especially this week, be sure to read the stories on your own. And um, be aware that we may be wrong about some of the finer details, but we're going to do our best here. And we apologize in advance if anything is incomplete or comes out wrong. Well, diving into the highlight story this week, Google is
1: rolling out password-killing technology to all of its accounts. So this is part of the new PassKeys trend that we're going down, as well as you know more FIDO-related things, but Google is announcing a major effort to let its personal account holders log in with a password replacement known as PassKeys. The feature launched today for the company's billions of accounts, and users will be able to proactively seek it out and turn it on. Google says it plans to promote passkeys in the coming months and start nudging account holders to convert their traditional username and password logins to a passkey. You can log in with passwords using biometric sensors like fingerprint or face scanners, your smartphone's device lockpin, or physical authentication dongles like YubiKeys. I'm glad that this is an option now. Uh, It's been a while since Google has, I think, been ahead of the game with 2FA stuff, and it's kind of cool to see them roll this out. Passkeys, I think, are better than insecure usernames and passwords, and so as long as people still have the option between everything, I'm all for this. There's very few privacy or security concerns I have with passkeys as of today.
0: Um, I actually don't have a lot of thoughts. I... I agree with you that I think almost anything is an upgrade from using bad usernames or or, uh, passwords and uh, weak or lack of 2FA. Definitely, I agree with you there. Truthfully, there's still a lot about passkeys I don't understand. I mean, I'm glad to see it rolling out. This is something I should probably turn on and start experimenting with myself, and then I might have more thoughts when I do. I'm glad to see the other options are still there for now. And personally, I'm really curious what happens if you lose your phone or something like that. I I still feel like I haven't really gotten a good answer on that, but. It's recovery, recovery methods. Oh, okay, fair enough. And also just a quick note in case uh, it kind of got blown over. This is only for personal Google accounts. It is for all accounts, but only personal accounts, not like business accounts or enterprise accounts. Um, It's all accounts in the sense that it's not like just America or just Europe. Like it's if you have a personal Google account, you can turn this on. So you can also go play around with this and see what you think. Pretty quick highlight stories the last couple of weeks, but uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into data breaches now. We're going to start off with a fun one. T-Mobile has disclosed their second data breach since the start of 2023. The article says that attackers had access for more than a month starting in late February 2023 compared to previous data breaches, the latest of which impacted 37 million people. This is relatively small. It only affected 836 customers, but you know, any breach is never a good thing. T-Mobile is saying that the attackers did not gain access to call records or personal finance account info, but I mean, I don't think they've really said what was obtained, and really anything could be risky. Phone numbers can be used to emulate, say, hey, this is T-Mobile, you're late on your bill, click here to fix it, you know, phishing attacks and things like that. So, yeah, again, any breach, any information stolen is really not good and very
1: unfortunate. Brightline data breach impacts 783,000 pediatric mental health patients. Mental health provider Brightline, this is mental health stuff, is warning patients that it suffered a data breach impacting 783,000 people after a ransomware gang stole data using a zero-day vulnerability And you know, anyone want to guess what it is, Fortra Go Anywhere Secure File Sharing Platform. So the company's internal investigation revealed that the data stolen by the it was stolen by the Klopp ransomware gang, which included full names, addresses, date of births, member identification numbers, date of health plan coverages, and employer names. They've said that they've implemented additional security measures, including limiting ongoing access to verified users, removing all the data from the service, and continuing ongoing measures to reduce data exposure until an alternative file transfer solution is identified and implemented.
0: Okay, so this next article, originally when I added it to the show notes, the headline said, American College of Pediatricians leak exposes 10,000 confidential files. I just want to give you guys a heads up because it's kind of a very politically loaded headline. Just to give you a heads up. Yeah, so this group, the American College of Pediatricians, they leaked 10,000 confidential files due to an exposed Google Drive file link. The article is really unclear on like why this was in the sense that why was this link publicly accessible? Apparently it was posted right on their website. Was this supposed to be like a link to like materials, like flyers and brochures about the college? Like, I, I don't know. But for whatever reason, this link was published on the website. And when you clicked on it, there was no password or anything. You were able to download 10,000 documents that included things like financial and tax records, membership roles, email exchanges, and apparently these records went back over a decade. That's that's kind of all I got on that one. Uh, it's just really unfortunate. It's um, Did the article say, do you know, was it like staff de- documents or was it like patient documents or? I'm unclear. The whole story is so it's so
1: confusing to me. The whole story, I just don't understand it, to be honest.
0: Yeah, so for the record, when when we opened this article, there was a little bit of confusion because apparently if you click it in reader mode, and I've seen this before on other articles, if you open it in reader mode, the first like third of the article is missing. So if you open this article and you use reader mode, be sure to disable reader mode. You might have a better idea of what's going on here. But either way, yeah, it's it's unclear if this is like um like staff information or student information or like patient information because I know a lot of these like... Colleges will sometimes have like a training hospital attached. So this one is a good one, uh, promising jobs at the U.S. Postal Service. And this U.S.
1: Job Services leaks customer data. I want to set the scene. This is not from the USPS. This is some random company that does a very, very good job of trying to act like they are the USPS. And they try to promise people jobs at the USPS. But it's really just a totally separate company. So this online company based in Georgia has made tens of millions of dollars to sell access to jobs at the USPS. And when we say sell access, they sell like how to nail your interview. They have strategies to pretty much get jobs at the USPS. At the USPS. But they exposed its internal IT operations and a database of nearly 900,000 customers. The leaked records indicate the network's chief technology officer in Pakistan has been hacked for the past year and that the entire operation was created by the principals of a Tennessee-based telemarketing firm that has promoted USPS employment websites since 2016. So I don't know what's going to happen with this website, but yeah, they've leaked customer data.
0: Our next story comes from payment software giant avid exchange who has suffered their second ransomware attack of 2023 so you're not alone t-mobile there's other people attackers have published a trove of sensitive data stolen from the payment software company avid exchange after a company fell victim to ransomware avid exchange provides cloud-based software that helps organizations automate invoice processing and payment management processes the north carolina-based company says it processed 70 million transactions yeah wow 70 million transactions for 8,000 customers in 2022. Ransom House Ransomware Group claimed responsibility. Data stolen includes non-disclosure agreements, employee payroll information, and corporate bank account numbers. So bad for employees and the company. The leak also includes login details, including usernames, passwords, and in some cases, answers to security questions for a variety of the company's systems, including cloud accounts and security software, through to smart door locks and surveillance cameras. The leak login details suggest that App Exchange uses easily guessed passwords with derivations of the company's name and the word password itself, unquote. Alpha Gang claims a ransomware attack
1: on Constellation Software. So a Canadian diversified software company, Constellation Software, confirmed on Thursday that some of its systems were breached by threat actors who also stole personal information and business data. The incident was limited to a small number of systems related to internal financial reporting and related data storage by the operating groups and businesses of Constellation. Constellation added that it had contained the attack and has now restored all the IT infrastructure systems impacted in the incident. This one is pretty small in terms of who is a It sounds like it was mostly affecting businesses, and even then, it doesn't sound like it was a huge number of people, but this is still a a data breach to
0: throw your way. All right, and our last data breach is a little different. It comes from Twitter. It says a quote-unquote security incident exposed private Circle tweets. So for those who don't know, Circles is this thing in Twitter that basically allows you to choose specific people you want to share with. So I don't recommend this, but for example, let's say your parents and your siblings follow you on Twitter, as well as a bunch of other randos, you can make a circle that's just your family members. And then there you can post like personal things that you don't necessarily want everyone to see, but you also don't want to text everybody 500 times. The issue here is apparently Twitter circles recently were not functioning correctly. April 7th, to be exact, Twitter users began to say that um, I can read these tweets that I'm not supposed to be able to read. So hopefully Twitter will get that patched up soon. We're now going to move into the company section. Chrome,
1: Google Chrome, the browser, is dropping the lock icon to show HTTPS status. The lock icon, which all of you probably know as maybe that green icon or the gray icon, depending on your browser, is in the Omnibar next to your URL. And pretty much it signifies if a site is using an SSL certificate. So it's HTTPS instead of HTTP. For a long time now, Google's been wanting to replace this actually, and they're finally doing it and they're replacing it with a new tune symbol. So kind of like a settings icon. So like think three horizontal lines. Google's reasoning for this is uh, Google said it's 2021 research showed that only 11% of participants in a study correctly understood the meaning of the lock icon. And in 2019, the US Federal Bureau of Investigation issued public guidance that stated, do not trust a website just because it has a lock icon or HTTPS in the browser address bar. So now in version 117, they've moved over to the Tune icon, which does not imply a site is trustworthy and is more obviously clickable so people can click on the Tune icon and get other site settings. Some other research from Google shows that the vast majority of connections, over 80%, are secured with HTTPS nowadays anyway, and also, like, browsers warn you if you're accessing a website without HTTPS anyway. That's the story. We kind of disagree on this one, so do you want to start? Sure, so, um... Sorry, but before you start, this is patron only debate. So if you want to hear our debates on this,
0: you better join our Patreon. You know, on the topic of Google, we'll go into our next story, which concerns both Apple and Google, which will segue nicely into our third story. This one says Apple and Google team up to fight Bluetooth tracker stocking. So this concerns um, mostly AirTags, but this has also been an issue for other like Tile and other less popular brands. It says Apple and Google have joined forces to push for the adoption of new industry standards designed to put a stop to stalking via Bluetooth-enabled location tracking devices. The new draft specification unveiled today by the two tech giants proposes that vendors making devices that could enable unwanted tracking should make it easier to alert the targeted individuals when this is happening. The first of its kind specification will allow Bluetooth location tracking devices to be compatible with unauthorized tracking detection and alerts across iOS and Android platforms. Samsung, Tile, Chipolo, UFI Security, and Pebblebee have expressed support for the specification, which offers best practices and instructions for manufacturers should they choose to build these capabilities into their products if manufacturers adopt the newly proposed technical standard it will provide compatibility with android and ios unwanted tracking detection and alerting technology okay i'm just gonna say the first thing that popped into my head let's all be happy at google and apple for doing what they should have done from day one yay yeah actually i'm kind of pissed about this story now now that i've read it a little more in detail because they should have been doing this from day one and like dude This is one of the things that's pissed me off about the AirTag is when the AirTag dropped, there were so many people, us included, and many other privacy experts and just technologists, not even privacy people. There were so many people. with common sense. People with common sense. Thank you, yes. There were people who knew how to count to two who were just like, this is going to get abused. This is going to get abused. And the whole time Apple's – Double-digit IQ required. Yeah, Seriously. (laughs) And like, dude, the whole time Apple was, for those of you who were there when this was happening, the whole time Apple's just like this cool new thing and you can like put it on your cats and you can put it on your keys and you can put it on your backpack and it's going to be so awesome. And people are like, this is going to get abused. And they just kept ignoring it. And then lo and behold, like within the first week, it's like, oh, hey, this is getting abused for like stalkers to track their exes and crap and like people to steal cars. And I think a few people have even been murdered over these. So. Uh, I think nothing. I do remember now. Yes, at at least several people have been murdered because of these things. So they should have been doing this from day one. And, And Apple did, I think before it came out, Apple did say like, oh, you know, it'll alert you if there's one nearby, but only if you have an iPhone. And Apple in particular has been so resistant to roll out anything for Android. I think they finally did a couple months ago, right? They did. They did. Yeah. But for the first like year, year and a half, there was nothing. I don't know. To me, this is like This is like textbook virtue signaling of like, they should have done this from the get-go. They have been resistant to do it for over a year. And now they're just going to be like, look at us, we're so awesome. We're so great. Aren't we benevolent gods? Screw these guys. I mean, it's good that they're doing this because it is desperately needed, but also like screw you guys for trying to act like you're the good guys for this. You should have been doing this over a year ago. How's that for all the people that say that we don't give Apple and Google enough flack? There you go, there's your hate. You got any thoughts? (laughs)
1: I don't, I think this is good. I don't, I mean, it's good that they're doing it. I agree. It's like, you know, really late, but.
0: Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. Like I said, it's good that they're doing it, but I just hate that they're trying to like, all the stories I've seen about this have been like, oh, good job for them. It's like, screw you. You should have been doing this a long time ago and you know it.
1: Well, something that is actually, I think, really good, really on all accounts. I don't really have many complaints about this one. Apple has released its first rapid security fix. iPhone, iPads, and Macs. So context, this was released. uh, Was this released in iOS? Okay, well, while Nate's fact-checking that, so what these are is it's a different update stream for iOS devices. Normally in the past, Apple was like, oh, we have a security issue. Time to roll out a whole version of iOS for everyone to install. But this is designed to be a quick security patch. So in iOS 16, Apple released rapid security response, but this is the first time it's been used now for 16.4.1 parentheses A, which is how they're somehow signifying that it's a security update. But this just landed. If you have an Apple device, uh, either an iPadOS, iOS, or macOS device running either 16.4.1 or macOS 13.3.1, you will receive this update. I had issues installing this when it first came out, as well as Jonah and a lot of other people, but like an hour after we got the update, then it was fine. Oddly enough, I was never notified for the update, but I don't know if that's because I checked before it even worked. Feel free to leave your comments if you got a notification for this or not, because I'd be curious to see if any of you got notifications for this.
0: Okay, our next story is a real quick one, or at least us talking about it is going to be really quick. It says, TikTok spied on me. Why? Why? And specifically, this is a story of a journalist. So I know you're probably your first thought from reading that headline is like TikTok spies on all of us, idiot, which is true. But TikTok has a history of targeting journalists. So I believe it was a a woman who wrote this. This lady was a is a reporter with the Financial Times and TikTok specifically targeted her. It just kind of goes through her story of how she got caught up in in covering TikTok stories. And that's what put her on the radar. And um, just kind of how she found out about it, the effects that it had on her. It is a really interesting story. I guess we're kind of sharing it because you know targeting journalists is not that they deserve more privacy than the rest of us necessarily, because everyone deserves privacy. But it's particularly troubling. It's a little bit of a longer read, but it's it's worth taking a few minutes.
1: Okay, the last company article is film studios lose bid to unmask Reddit users who wrote comments on piracy. There were eight anonymous users who wrote comments on Reddit in piracy-related threats. Not privacy, piracy. A judge in the U.S. District Court of the Northern District of California ruled on Friday that Reddit doesn't have to identify those people. So the context here is there was a ton of back and forth. And I mean a ton, this is a huge case where essentially the film studios were trying to force Reddit to hand over user information about these individuals to get as much information about them as possible. But they have currently won the incident where they were trying to unmask those users, and so Reddit does not have to do this. So it's kind of nice that Reddit stood up for something as silly as this. And the, the craziest thing here to me is that some of these people they were going after didn't even really say much. They just left comments on these subreddits. They didn't even necessarily say anything or spread anything. They were just random users in these subreddits. So... Kind of a wild story, but it's nice to see that Reddit stood their ground and also that uh, the courts have agreed with Reddit. And uh, here, I don't know how much you're going to keep, but I hope you keep this in the in the public one. Here's what I'm telling people now. The two best options, I think, for like watching TV shows and movies, to actually have access to everything in one place, you have the pirate method, which I won't comment on my thoughts on it, but that is a method. And the other method is, guys, just rent your movies like go on youtube you can rent movies on youtube you can rent movies on amazon and you get it all in one place and i know what people are saying already but then i don't own them and look i'm with you i I wish i could own everything but this is that's what are you doing with a subscription service you're just not owning tons of things on these different platforms at least you just rent what you're going to watch if you're on youtube it's like three dollars to rent a movie it's just three dollars if you're not watching four movies a month There's no reason to justify, you know, $10 a month when you're only going to be watching a fraction of that. So that's been my approach. It's nice to just rent an individual movie, put a privacy.com card on whatever site you want to go on, and you don't have to worry about subscription services, which I'm generally opposed to in
0: every capacity, not just in video stuff. Also, just to point out, like, I know what I do with audiobooks, because I don't really have a lot of time to watch shows and movies, is I just get them from the local library. And then if I really, really like them, like, three-body or... Uh, there's like another one I read recently that I actually wanted. Anyways, if I really like them, then I'll go ahead and actually buy a copy. So, I mean, you guys could do that too. Like sign up for your local library. They weirdly do ask for a lot of information. I'm not sure why, but sign up for your local library and go like, they have movies, they have music, they have DVDs yep. and some of it's they have video games and, sometimes. Yeah. And and a lot of them, they come with access to digital services. So you may still be able to stream certain things through them. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not like top tier like Netflix. It's not every show you can imagine. But you'd be surprised what they have. And then if you watch a movie there and you're like, wow, that was really good. I want to own it. Go out and buy it. Like buy a digital copy. Buy a physical copy and rip it to your server. Like we are way off topic. (laughs)
1: Last thing to add here, sorry. (laughs) On the topic of libraries, I've seen two very neat things. One, in different libraries I've been to in my life, one of the libraries they offered unlimited 4G hotspots that you rent for the week. So you could actually have free internet. I've seen rented laptops. You can take laptops home and it's completely free. And then um, the other thing too is digital ebook libraries. like the libraries that you go there in person to, they have them online and you can get eBooks if you like e-readers or anything
0: else. Like libraries are awesome. Check out your local library. Now we're gonna move on to research. (laughs) So this next story is kind of creepy. The headline says scientists use GPT-AI to passively read people's thoughts in breakthrough. Scientists have invented a language decoder that can translate a person's thoughts into text using an AI similar to ChatGPT. The AI was combined with fMRI readings to non-invasively decode continuous language from subjects. The decoder was able to interpret the gist of stories that human subjects watch or listen to, or even simply imagine, using fMRI brain patterns, an achievement that essentially allows it to read people's minds with unprecedented efficacy. While this technology is still in its early stages, scientists hope it might one day help people with the neurological conditions that affect speech to clearly communicate with the outside world. However, the team that made the decoder has also warned that brain reading platforms could eventually have nefarious applications, including a means of surveillance for governments and employers. Though the researchers emphasize that their decoder requires the cooperation of human subjects to work, they argued that brain computer interfaces should respect mental privacy. I do not have an upside for this story. <laughs> yeah, this is horrifying. I guess our, uh I've been listening to a lot of a certain podcast lately. So if you get this reference, I guess the upshot here is uh this technology is probably still very early in its, in its infancy and very complicated, very resource intensive. And like they said, it requires cooperation. So for now, I guess we're okay, but This next one is actually kinda neat. So there's a new tool that shows if your
1: car might be tracking you or selling your data. This is a free tool from Privacy for Cars which provides some insight on whether your vehicle is collecting or sharing location and other types of data. This is free to use for consumers and it aims to better inform people about the types of data their particular car manufacturer might be collecting and sharing about their identity and driving patterns. This tool is made by the company Privacy for Cars, is based on a manual and automatic analysis of car manufacturers' data collection policies. To use it, you enter your vehicle identification number or a VIN, and the tool provides information based on those policies. They're going to cover things that might include identifiers, location data, biometrics, and data synced from mobile phones. The tool also lists the sorts of entities that manufacturers may share or sell data to, such as insurance companies, data brokers, or the government. So really cool tool. But either way, if you're curious, go check this out in the sources.
0: Okay, our next piece of research, don't panic. It says AMD TPM exploit. So it's TPM, but with the word fault in front of it. So it's like fault TPM. Anyways, I'm just going to call it Fault PM. Fault PM attack defeats BitLocker and TPM-based security. So this comes from the Technical University of Berlin, who has revealed that AMD's firmware-based trusted platform module can be fully compromised via a voltage fault injection attack, thus allowing at full access to the cryptographic data held inside the FTPM in an attack called Fault PM. Ultimately, this allows an attacker to fully compromise any application or encryption such as BitLocker that relies solely upon TPM-based security. The researchers accomplished the feat using off-the-shelf components that cost about $200 to attack the AMD PSP present in Zen 2 and Zen 3 chips. The report does not specify if Zen 4 CPUs are vulnerable, and the attack does require physical access to the machine for several hours. So, again, don't panic. Keep track of your devices, which is just good advice all the time anyways. The researchers have also shared the code used for the attack on GitHub and a list of the inexpensive hardware used for the attack. So by default, BitLocker uses a TPM-only mechanism to store the keys, but users can manually enable a pin setting that allows the user to assign a pin code that works in tandem with the mechanisms. However, the pins aren't enabled by default and are vulnerable to brute force attack methods. Simple numerical pins are relatively easy to break, but more rigorous text-based passphrases are harder to crack. As mentioned, this attack also exposes applications that use only TPM-based security, while applications with multiple layers of security will be more secure. Researchers contend that this attack vector is not easy to mitigate due to the voltage fault injection. So the earliest intercept point for AMD to fix the issue would presumably be with its next-gen CPU microarchitectures. According to the researchers, Intel's converged security and manageability engine prevents these types of attacks. There's not been any official communication from AMD on the matter, so the release doesn't appear to be part of an industry standard coordinated disclosure. The article says they have contacted AMD for more details and to see if the company has a mitigation plan and will update as necessary. Kind of scary stuff. Again, thankfully, it requires physical access and uh, several hours, so probably unrealistic for most people, but still something to be aware of and very unfortunate. Okay, so let me break this down. So this is an article titled On the Security
1: of the Linux Disk Encryption Lux." So just painting the picture I'm not going to get into all this drama bullshit, but... There's lots of back and forth drama between security people, as there always is, talking about the security of LUX, which is the encryption software for generally Linux devices. And is probably the easiest way that you're gonna set up full disk encryption on a Linux device for most people on Linux. I don't care if you use some freaking self-hosted, your own open source crap that you found with two stars on GitHub, that's fine. We're talking about LUX here. Pretty much, There was all this drama going back and forth. People were accusing that it's insecure and whatnot, but this article kind of lays everything out very nicely, and it talks about the the actual security concerns with Lux and what it looks like. I'm going to read the conclusion here. In our estimation, based on the available information, PBK, DF2, and Lux1 cannot be held exclusively responsible for decryption. It is important to use a strong password or passphrase and to follow the described recommendations when using them. Using up-to-date software and algorithms increases security and reduces possible attack surfaces. So to add context here, there were several attacks that people were outlining that could be done on Lux to question the security of Lux, but a lot of those are based on the premise that they weren't using strong algorithms, which might have been defaults for certain Linux distributions, or they were simply out of date because people were so behind on updates and they set up Lux so long ago that they were still using kind of ancient cryptography to secure their operating systems. So make sure you're staying up to date and make sure that you're choosing good algorithms if you're using something like fedora or any other major distro you should be fine Uh, another sentence here from the conclusion upgrading the key derivation function is not a one-time task You should check every few years whether the function you are using is still considered secure and adjust the level of difficulty. This applies not only to Lux, but to all password-based encryption tools, such as Veracrypt or KeePassXC. I'm really glad they touched on this because that is a problem. Even myself, I use KeePass. After the whole LastPass incident, I had to look up the amount of iterations that my KeePass database was set to, and it was set really low, and I had to bump that up. So if you are one of these people and you're using Lux or Veracrypt or KeePass and all this stuff that is kind of DIY in my book, you have to make sure you're keeping up and you're actually staying updated with the modern attacks that are happening against you, just like you should be doing with everything else in your privacy and security life. But in this case specifically, there's a, there's a layer of user error here, as well as maybe some lazy defaults on some Linux distributions. But if you have everything configured correctly, Lux is still secure. But there's definitely an asterisk on that, so make sure you read this article if you want to read all the recommendations, because this article lists out
0: all the details if you're using Lux and you want to know how to make sure it's secure. With that, we will move into politics. FTC moves to completely prohibit meta from monetizing kids. So, quoting the article, the FTC aims to completely ban meta from monetizing kids, saying it has, quote, repeatedly violated privacy rules and needs further instruction. The company's recklessness has put young users at risk and Facebook needs to answer for its failures, according to Samuel Levine, director of the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection. There's a a government order from 2020 that affects all of Meta's businesses like Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Oculus. And they're basically saying we need to update it to add total prohibition of monetizing data from anyone under 18. This data could only be used to provide services or for security purposes. And it does not retroactively become legal when the user turns 18 either. Okay. That's, I was going to touch on that, so that's a good one. No launching new or modified products or services without the independent assessor confirming that the new features are in compliance with privacy restrictions. If Meta happens to buy up some cool new company, this privacy rule will now apply to them as well. Expanded limitations on facial recognition requiring disclosure and affirmative consent. And strengthened requirements throughout relating to privacy review, data inventory access controls, etc meta has strenuously denied the ftc's approach calling it a political stunt meta says quote despite three years of continual engagement with the ftc around our agreement they provided no opportunity to discuss this new totally unprecedented theory who accused the ftc chair linda khan of a new low in letting tiktok run free while antagonizing meta they're they're not letting tiktok run free everyone's attacking i was gonna say what the hell happened two months ago (laughs) (laughs) oh I'm sorry they just called a random person in to hold a highly televised national uh, uh, questioning like oh my god I mean to be fair to their defense nothing came of it and and for the record just to be clear they could do more against TikTok but I just I just love that like they're letting TikTok run free they've been under scrutiny too they just seem to be better at hiding their garbage than you do
1: (laughs) so this next one is is pretty classic actually well it's bad but it's a classic so Pornhub has been blocked in all of Utah. For, well, okay, sorry. Pornhub has blocked all of Utah from its website. This is a response to Utah essentially banning porn because of age verification laws. So they haven't banned porn, but they now require you to verify your age to use the platform. In January, Pornhub started requiring identification from Louisiana-based users, following the passage of a law that makes porn sites liable for content deemed harmful to minors. Several copycat bills started moving through state legislatures with varying success, including in Arkansas, which recently passed its version into law. In 2016, Utah declared porn a, quote, public health crisis and an epidemic that is harming the citizens of Utah and the nation. Some context here. This is the article, not me. I'm quoting the article. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, aka Mormons, have recently and historically represented the majority of legislators in Utah. And in 2009, Utah was considered the online porn capital of the US with the most porn consumers logging in in the nation. In 2021, Cox, no pun intended, signed a law that would require device manufacturers (laughs) to, to add adult content filters on all smartphones and tablets sold in Utah. Experts say that age verification doesn't work to protect children online and only works to drive material that is harmful to minors to less safe spaces on the internet, while exposing adults to more risk of identity theft, private data hacks, and extortion. Immediately after SB 287 passed, the House and Senate in Utah, residents there started discussing how best to use virtual private networks to keep accessing porn, and there's a separate article now from The Verge, which I swear you guys got to look at look at this in the sources. The title of the article here, here, I, I'm going to make sure I get this
0: right. I'll, I'll go ahead and post a screenshot of it too. But yeah, if you're audio listening, remember to check it out when you get a chance. It's pretty good. <laughs> right. It's, it's really good.
1: So the article is titled, Pornhub Cuts Off Utah, com- period. Utah Discovers VPNs, period. And here's the whole article. Sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. And it's an image, uh, those in the audio, watch the video or look at the sources. It's an image of search volume, Google search volume for VPN on May 2nd, 2023. And it's at 100, which is the max possible search volume only in Utah. Every other state is like in the 20s, 30s. There's a couple other ones in 45. But then there's Utah at 100, which means it's the most popular
0: search term in the state for that day. Okay, our next story is a really quick one. The headline says, cybercriminals hit Dallas servers, Dallas city servers, limiting some police and IT systems. This comes from the Royal Ransomware Group who previously hit Dallas schools. City officials are asking for patience during this recovery period. This is a developing story. I strongly suspect we will be moving it to the data breaches section here pretty soon. But as of right now, we don't really have a lot of details, so we'll see. And then I just, real quick, I just got a note. Police services. Like, this is bad, guys. This is... Like, this stuff affects people's livelihoods. Like, has anyone officially died from a cyber attack yet? Yeah, it's happened there like- was the hospital case, I think. Where no, 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 no but didn't that turn to out death. to be unrelated? Like, it, it no. turned out the person would have died anyways?
1: Well, I don't know, but either way, there was one hospital incident where actually the attackers actually afterwards decided to comply. and Because they went, it went too far and they killed someone. Um, I forgot which one it was, but... Yeah, but there was a hospital one, and the attackers actually somewhat complied, and I think they gave up the ransomware keys or something like that because of the incident. Um, I have to look it up, but that's based on memory, so if anyone has that story, feel free to leave it in the comments. You can't leave links in the comments, but, like, share what the title or headline is in the comments. But yeah,
0: seriously, like, this stuff is, it, people, this affects people's lives and safety. Not good. We need to take security and privacy seriously. I think this is it. Was it Germany? yeah. Okay, because I remember there was a story about a ransomware that hit a hospital and somebody did die. But then a later investigation, like they concluded it's like, yeah, this person was already kind of on death's door and they probably wouldn't have made it even if there hadn't been a ransomware attack. But I mean, to be fair, maybe the cyber criminals didn't know that and they were just like, oh, well, crap. There actually was, so first off, you are correct, that German woman who
1: died, it was later found that the ransomware was not a key role in the death but there's a story that there's a baby who died in i think 2019 oh that rings um, a bell in the in the in the u.s and that one was i think they they sued over it so i don't know what the assessment is i don't know if there's an update to the story but there was something that happened there I don't know what story I was thinking of. There is a story where it was like really bad. And even the attackers are like, okay, yeah, we went overboard. We're going to comply a little bit here.
0: And they gave up like the
1: ransomware keys. I forgot
0: which story that was, but there was a story. I think we covered one where they attacked a hospital or, or like a critical infrastructure and they didn't know it. And they had a policy of we don't attack critical infrastructure. So they gave the key. That sounds I, right. I do remember
1: that. Right.
0: NYPD, New York Police Department, has
1: urged citizens to buy Apple AirTags to fight surge in car thefts. They're urging resident car owners to equip their vehicles with Apple AirTags. This is during a press conference that they announced a distribution of 500 free AirTags to New Yorkers, saying the tech would aid in reducing the city's surging car theft numbers. They are adamant that auto numbers are dragging the city's overall crime numbers up and urge New Yorkers to participate in this fight by using the AirTags. They said, quote, it's very simple. The charging life lasts a long time and you can see it in real time where that vehicle is located. On Twitter, NYPD's chief of department, Jeffrey Madry, said users who report a stolen vehicle equipped with an air tag will see the police use drones, or their Star Chase technology, and good old-fashioned police work to safely recover your stolen car. Referring to the Star Chase GPS shooter, the NYPD announced it would use to track cars, which we covered last week, so you should already know about that because you're subscribed to Surveillance Support. And you're probably going to get some updates to uh,
0: Dallas. So if you're in Dallas and you're not subscribed, man, you're, it's oof. All right. Our next story comes from Montana, where it says Montana's governor's changes to TikTok ban bill would ban all social media entirely. This comes from Tector, who I think makes really good points, but I'm just not a fan of the, the way that he like, they're just very overt with their bias, which I mean, on, I guess on the one hand is better than like trying to hide it and pass it off as news. But at the same time, it's just, you know, take that with a grain of salt. He's clearly got a, a viewpoint. And he's making it very, very obvious. Although he's usually got a good point. So Montana recently banned TikTok. That bill didn't pass, actually, because the governor sent it back to the legislator to add an amendment. The amendment basically was the ban originally applied only to TikTok. The way the governor wanted this reworded seems to unintentionally ban all social media. There's a lawyer, Ari Cohn, who pointed out that the new draft targets, quote, any social media application that allows for the collection of personal information or data and allows for the personal information or data to be provided to a foreign adversary or person or entity located within a country designated as a foreign adversary. Basically, the governor realized, like, banning TikTok is probably not going to fly for First Amendment reasons. So he sent it back to be like, hey, let's, like, tweak this a little bit so we don't explicitly say TikTok. And in the process, he made it a little too loose and basically said anybody. Um, So it basically bans all social media. It's not even making it too loose. They're just banning why they wanted
1: to ban TikTok. And that just naturally includes everything else, which is the whole problem of wanting to ban TikTok.
0: Fair enough. Okay, yeah. So the article points out here, every social media network collects such information and provides it to people located in countries designated as foreign adversaries. And that's because personal information is a very broad term.
1: On a somewhat not great note... India has blocked 14 mobile applications used by terrorists in Pakistan to send information in JK. So the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology, the governing authority, issued an order under Section 69A of the Information Technology Act blocking access to the 14 mobile apps on the grounds that they were being used to engage in activities prejudicial to sovereignty and integrity of India, defense of India, security of state, and public order. Thank you to uh, Ivan on the Techler forum for locating the apps because I wasn't for whatever, maybe it was in the article, but I couldn't find it easily. But the apps blocked are Cripvisor, Enigma, SafeSwiss, Wicker, Mediafire, Briar, Beechat, Nandbox, Konian, IMO, Element, Matrix, the client, Second Line, Zongi, and Threema among others. For whatever reason, WhatsApp and Signal are not on the blocked list, not because I think they're compromised, just because for whatever reason, they haven't deemed those to be used by terrorists. There's actually a whole thread on the Techler forum that's really solid, just like some people from India are talking about this and what it looks like and how they're doing this blocking. So it's kind of cool to see some insight there. But yeah, this is overall like kind of crazy that um, they're just blocking these like very, I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with Element, the Matrix client, just proposing this. Matrix is like an official government messenger for some countries. What if you're like a government official and let's, I think Germany uses them, if I'm not mistaken. So what if you're a government official using Matrix in Germany and you travel to India for a day? Are you breaking the law in India? (laughs) Like this stuff, this kind of stuff is so ridiculous. I just don't even know like how people think this is a good idea. You just can't do this with
0: tech. This next story, or this is actually our last political story. It says all SMS will now be intercepted and screened in Malaysia. So SMSs sent in Malaysia will now be intercepted by the telecommunications service providers to be screened for, quote, prohibited content. The move is said to protect and prevent consumers from becoming victims of online scams. Out of the five major mobile service providers, four providers, Cellcom Digi, Maxis, Telecom Malaysia, aka Unify, and U-Mobile have indicated that they will implement the directive by the Malaysia government. There is no announcement yet from YTL Communications and the MVNOs. Consumers will not be charged if the SMS is blocked which this is why things like WhatsApp are so popular in other parts of the world, because here in America, SMS has been free for like 15 years, but apparently that is not the case in other parts of the world. The article goes on to point that point out that SMS was never secure or private. It's an old technology. It's a way to send text-only messages between phones, and it is not end-to-end encrypted. The block does not apply to internet messaging services like WhatsApp, Telegram, Facebook Messenger, WeChat, and other secure platforms which offer encryption and therefore makes it impossible for content to be screened. And the last story
1: of the week, because there's no misfits, so we're just going to do FOSS and end with the Q&A, but free and open source software, Brave has made some I don't know, this this article is like, wow, Brave has made such big improvements to their privacy. It's not that big, people. Brave updated, it's improved its script blocking, so now you can block individual scripts on a web website. It's still not as thorough as no script or uBlock origin, but it does give a little bit more control over the script blocking. And they've also made Google's sign in a little bit more private as well. That's it. Those are the changes with Brave. Not that I hate Brave. I like Brave. I use Brave, but I don't know how much Brave is paying for these articles for them to just act like it's a huge freaking deal. And it's just
0: not. Henry stole my thunder. There's no misfits this week. And we only actually have one question. So friendly reminder, Q&A is available to patrons, $5 a month. You can ask us pretty much any question. I mean, obviously, if it's too personal or something, we won't answer it. But so far, nobody's really been asking any super personal questions. Y'all have been asking really good questions, and we're happy to answer them. This one comes from Clem, who says, what are your thoughts on the Google Pixel Fold? And Henry's already <laughs> laughing. Do you have thoughts? I do have. Well, I wish I wish
1: sometimes I could just leak my DMs on purpose Because I think I've ranted about this now for like a solid hour (laughs) on signal uh, between different people. (laughs) So, so I, I just hate folding phones in general. I think they're so ridiculous. Like, I hate the concept of a folding phone. I really do. Because A, I already like small phones. I don't want more screen real estate. I don't need more screen real estate. I want something small and I don't want something that's super thick in your pocket, you know? So I already just don't like that. They're also super fragile. If you drop a folding phone and if, and if you drop a non-folding phone, I'm going to always put money on the folding phone breaking before the other one. They're super expensive. These folding phones are just ridiculously expensive. You might as well just get like a nice laptop at that point if you want something that folds and makes you, makes you feel good about yourself. And also like I've used like the, Sam, the, like the high-end Samsung one and there's like a whole crease on the screen when you open it up. It just doesn't look good.
0: I've heard um, that too. That's what I was going to say.
1: Right, it just doesn't look good. I don't really understand the use case. It feels more like a Samsung fad, like a Samsung, because Samsung always has their fad features that last for a few years and then they go away. But this one has not gone away and people keep trying to like commit to this. I just don't think it's a great idea. I don't get the concept. I don't understand the use case. I think the use case is more screen real estate, but at the cost of so many things in the process. And I'm anti-screen real estate. I want a small phone. I want something with like a four and a half inch screen and I'm happy. Those are my thoughts on the Google Pixel Fold. So nothing against Google, actually. It might be a great phone, and maybe Google's execution is great, and I'm glad it's probably going to run stock Android and not whatever garbage Samsung has on their phones. But outside of that, I just hate folding phones in general. I want them to die. Sorry if you love folding phones.
0: In answer to the actual question, to be totally honest, I really don't have an opinion. I've also heard that there's kind of a line down the middle. I think it's really cool from a technological standpoint. Like I think it's super neat and super sci-fi Agreed. that we've come this far, that we can Agreed. do that. I think that's really cool. But I mean, honestly, I bought the first generation iPhone. Uh, I think I've shared this story before. I just had the money to burn. I had nothing better to do. That's the only reason why I I wasn't like an early adopter or anything or an Apple fanboy. I was just like, at the time I had an iPod or an MP3 player or whatever. And so I'm like, hey, phone, MP3 player in one sweet. Turns out I've always been a minimalist. Yeah. Like I've had those phones that flip or slide or swing out or do whatever. I've never had like a, a desire for those again. Like, again, I don't hate them. I don't care. I just... Ever since I've had an iPhone and you just hit a button and the screen lights up and I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty neat. I've never really cared about folding or – I think the closest thing I've ever cared about is I I saw like a – what's the word? A concept for like a phone that turns into a watch and like wraps around your hand. And again, I think that's even more of a minimalism thing because it's like, cool, now I don't need to have a watch and a phone. They're all in one. I don't think it ever came to be. I think it was just like a a proposed idea. But – Yeah, other than that, like, I've, I mean, I think it's personal preference. If you want a folding phone and it actually works well and you're not dropping it and cracking it in your pocket and breaking it all the time, then like, hey, go for it. But other than that, I really have no thoughts. So unless there's like something I'm missing about, like hardware or software, you know, like, oh, it's going to do this super cool thing. Then as as just a folding phone in general, I personally couldn't care less either way. If you like them, good on you. If you don't, don't get one. Okay, and that's it for this week. Passkeys are out for personal Google accounts. So if you're a Google user, feel free to go check those out. See if it's right for you, maybe not. T-Mobile has had their second breach that we know of. Apple has pushed out their first rapid security patch. Seems to have gone mostly okay. Hopefully we'll see that smooth out in the future. Apple and Google are finally teaming up to offer some... Somewhat meaningful protections for air tags and much, much more. And As usual, we will probably have updates to a lot of these stories. You know, passkeys will roll out to future apps. I know this is the outro, but real quick, for those of you who don't know, 1Password is working on passkey integration support. I'm pretty sure Bitwarden has mentioned it at least. So we're going to see those roll out to a lot more privacy-respecting services in the future. probably see more T-Mobile data breaches, more Apple rapid security patches. I mean, all of it. So stay subscribed and we'll keep you updated as we learn more. Just a reminder, our promo segment, if you enjoyed Surveillance Report and want to keep us going, we have Patreon. For $5 a month, you can ask us a question. For $10 a month, you don't have to listen to this feel. You get more of our rants. And we got real ranty this week, so there's definitely going to be a lot in there for patrons. If you don't care about any of that, just a reminder that you can give less than that on Patreon. You just won't get the perks. And if that's the case, you could also check out LibrePay, which is considered more privacy respecting than Patreon and is also just not Patreon. And of course, the maximum way to support us privately is Monero. If you're looking to support us and protect your anonymity as much as possible, Monero would probably be the way to go. Regardless of how you support us, we do see that support and it is highly appreciated. Thank you all. So thank you for listening to Surveillance Support. The final thing we want to ask of you, as always, share the podcast around. Make sure you are subscribed. Give us a rating if you're on a platform and that's an option. You can comment on certain platforms, all that stuff, all of it helps us reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy. Every little bit helps. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for listening. And we will be back next week.